The following is a study in the book of Philippians following James Montgomery Boyce's expositional studies in the book of Philippians. We hope that this is beneficial to you and that it will profit you in the days to come. I thank you very much for listening and hope that you continue following us at Vintage Broadcasting. Philippians is and has been and perhaps always will be one of the most favorite books I find in the New Testament. It's a book about joy and how to be joyful. Paul mentions this word 16 times and he does so in such a way that it seems just to roll off his lips as if something he had learned years and years earlier and practiced daily and knew intimately. We know that Jesus is the joy of loving hearts. But how do we sustain this understanding and how do we know that to be a fact? What about hard times, stressful and fearful times? Well, look at Paul. Paul had learned that whatever state he was in, he was able to be content. The man knew how to rejoice, and he knew something about joy. He overflowed with joy. Philippians is a book that overflows with joy as well. It gives us Christians character and shape and form. Now, what's the pulse of Paul? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's in the first chapter of Philippians. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. That's in the third chapter of Philippians. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. That's in the fourth chapter of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in the fourth chapter of Philippians. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's in the fourth chapter of Philippians. While Philippians is not considered to be a doctrinal treatise similar to the book of Romans, it is a book filled with doctrine. Great expressions of truth are presented here. With Paul, it flows out of his pen as easily as if he breathed it. It was simply a matter of conversation with this man. He was not tortured with the constant repetitious thoughts of a madman, but he let his thoughts think on these things. Consequently, it was his casual talk. It was what he delighted in speaking about, much like the individual taken up with the details and statistics of professional baseball. Paul gave himself to these things in such a way that he could say with unchallenged honesty, for me to live is Christ. Read Philippians 2, 5-11, and you'll find the most succinct doctrinal passage regarding Christ written in the Scripture. And we're told how Christ laid aside his eternal glory in order to take on the form of man. Read it. Read it slowly and be amazed. For there we see something also of the mind of Paul. Consider the life and times of Paul. As an apostle, he had no easy path to follow. <clears throat> he was in shipwreck. He had beatings with a whip. He was cast in prison. He was mocked, not to mention the enemy always pulling on his mind, calling him to look back and see all the things he had forsaken in order to follow this Jesus. He put his foot down and he made a decision early on telling himself and showing us that we could do the same thing in such an instant. Forget the things that lie behind. Press forward to what lies ahead. I press towards the goal for the high prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. With only a few friends around him, he was facing the possibility of death for standing with Christ. Paul was essentially alone. It's what animates the mind when we're under pressure and alone 
that truly defines us, you know. And this is where we discover our strength and our weakness. We tend to romanticize the life of Paul, imagining him as a beloved warrior standing in a corrupt world as his followers looked to him in amazement. It was nothing like that. A great deal of his time was spent in travel. He was laid up due to fatigue, and he received beatings of 40 lashes, save one, three times. He had pain that followed him like a feral dog. The scars and the memories, they weren't easily suppressed. And as for friends, look at his time in Rome. He had written to Rome, he had written to the Romans, perhaps one of the most brilliant letters ever written. The congregation, you would think, would cherish the author, but this was not the case. When he arrived at Rome, sure, the, the people of the church went out to meet him. But the novelty wore off, and two years or more passed, and the pastors in the area were jealous of Paul. They ignored him, as he sat in prison. These pastors neglected their responsibilities, and as the shepherd of the flock, they were to go and care for the sheep. In time, Paul was all but forgotten. And if you recall, Onesiphorus came trying to find Paul some years later, and no one could tell him where Paul was. And after careful search, was he able to discover his whereabouts. What do you think of that? What a picture of true Christian kindness. Onesiphorus stood by his friend, unlike so many who had deserted him. Paul was refreshed as he sat in his dungeon and saw Onesiphorus. He was unashamed of his friendship with this man, and Onesiphorus embraced him. Imagine Paul's appearance, almost blind, disheveled, filthy, bent from the beatings, body broken as one who had seen, been seen as a rebel in the eyes of Rome. He was forsaken by his own people. No man stood with him, but the Lord stood with him. There were those that Paul was aware of who preached Christ out of envy and rivalry. And they were after the attention and the crowds, and their ambition was not to know Christ, but to be exalted and seen by others. And all that Paul had done over the years seemed to be falling in there at the end. The churches were being torn apart by lying men, self-seeking individuals who were building their own little kingdoms. They had strayed away from what Paul had taught them. Faithful men had been led astray. And these men, the faithful men, they were hard to find. But look at Paul. He writes of joy. Rejoicing in the riches that belong to all of us who believe in Christ Jesus. How was he able to do that? Now, I live in rural Kentucky at the foothills of Appalachia. And here we don't have all the amenities one would find in a large metropolitan area. But we do have a certain affluence that is not found in many places in the world. Still, we experience a great deal of crime, drugs, suicide, depression, and so on. People are not happy. They're in constant rush, being pushed along as they try to survive in a troubled world. Amidst the incredible affluence that we have here in America, we do not find many people who are truly satisfied and joyful. And then we have Paul. Paul was bound in chains and laid in a makeshift bed in some prison in Rome. Abandoned and broken physically and staring into the eyes of certain death, he radiated joy. Was this all just for show? Paul penned words from his heart. He had filled his mind over the years, not with the troubles that surrounded him or the problems of the past. Paul had filled his mind with Christ. He marveled at the thought that he was loved beyond all telling by God. This is what consumed his thought, and he never could forget it. It's been said, and it's probably true, that a man cannot think about two things at once. You can't think about your pain while you're thinking about the loving son you have. True, pain can interrupt those thoughts pushing out other things. But even this illustrates what I'm saying. 
Two thoughts cannot occupy your mind at the same time. You either think on this or you think on that. And that's a pretty practical way of considering things. The thing you think about the most will be what consumes your mind. You can't think about your problems while you're thinking about Christ. You can't think about yourself and selfishly and think about Christ. Paul realized this. A great deal of this is emotion versus willpower. Paul forced his mind to think on these things. Christ. The outcome was that he was always thinking about the love of God in Christ, how Christ could help others, how merciful and gracious God had been to him, the chief of sinners. And he points us in that direction, showing us, you and me, how to live out the joy that we profess to possess. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Read the first chapter of Philippians and count the number of times that Paul mentions Christ or Jesus. He longed to know Christ and to know him well. He had accomplished many things in his life. A member of the Sanhedrin, a rabbi, he knew the law. He had been taught extremely well. He had held a powerful position and had, had earned the respect of his peers. He was a successful man by all estimations. His shelves would have been lined with plaques and ribbons and trophies reflecting a lifetime of achievements. But he counted all this as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of simply knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. How sad it is to see and hear of Christians bickering and complaining and fighting. How awful it is to listen to a noisy busybody as she spreads the latest gossip to those within the church, feeling that this is her calling in life. Listen to the complaining and see the faces of the congregation. Right now, inflation is high. Gas is costing almost $5 a gallon in the United States of America. There's a threat of collapse floating in the air like smoke from a fire. Times are hard. People are worried. People are fearful. There's all sorts of anxiety floating around. And there are all sorts of axioms that we can recite in an effort to encourage ourselves and others. But these are quickly forgotten. It's Christ. It's our living Lord who can truly comfort the soul, and he does so as we call upon him. He brings peace to the stormy waters, and he tells the winds to be still. The words and the thoughts of men are just that, words and thoughts of men. Joy is what Christ brings to the heart, and joy is not something the world can steal away. Joy reveals the life of Christ in the heart of man. But what's the secret? Really, it's no secret at all. You fill your mind with Christ. Read the Bible. Paul let this mind occupy him. There is truly an expelling power of great affection. A young lady falls in love, though she works in a factory, and her work is hard and difficult and demands her attention, yet her thoughts are filled with the thought about the one she loves. I've had men tell me, and I have said this myself, we can't afford the luxury of thinking of Christ all the time. Really? Really? Oh, now I've been proven wrong. I have been proven wrong. Consider what you do think about and how constant these thoughts are. What are you thinking about? Work, bills, mortgages, problems? Cannot Christ guide and lead in all of these things? Or will you not allow that? You see, you as a Christian, you can allow your mind to be filled with whatever you wish. Philippians also opens the door of understanding into the mind of Christ. It tells us what he thought of, and it tells us why he came. Jesus did not think of equality with God as something to be grasped. He emptied himself, and he became a child, a baby, born to a poor girl in a small town in Israel. He did not come in opulence. He did not come with big pronouncements and horns blowing. He became a slave, a doulos, we are told. 
And this was by choice. He became a servant and he was found in the appearance of man. He voluntarily humbled himself and he took the lowest position by choice. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus embraced humility and obedience. These are the things that are so practical in life. Humility is something which the oppressed live daily. You, uh, humble lives in humble places, living under the weight of a greater authority. is something we imagine as good. We say, oh, he humbled himself. But we practice it very little. Humility involved letting go of what we have in order to embrace something inferior. We trade up. Rarely do we trade down. We want something better. We want a better job, a better house, a better situation, better friends. So we move, we relocate a gated community, the better schools for our children. We want the best opportunity for our family on this earth. This is the American dream. We lose weight in order to feel better and to look better. We dress to impress. But if we're honest, most of us do not willingly relinquish anything we have at all. We hoard things and we try to get more and better things. The better job because of recognition. Christ laid it all aside, his power and his honor. For when he came in flesh, he condescended in such a way that is unimaginable. Animal traders have learned an excellent way to catch monkeys. Now, you may wonder how this applies to what I just said. Bear with me and you'll see. They do not use nets or darts or cages, just a hollowed out coconut. They drill a hole at both ends of the coconut, and through one end, they drop a chain, and this is staked into the ground. On the other end, the hole is big enough for the monkey to get his hand inside. Inside, they put a shiny object, which the monkey, on examination, will eventually see. When he does see it, he sticks his hand in in order to grab the stone and claim it for his own. When he does this, he makes a fist around the stone, which makes his hand too big to get out of the hole. Oh, but he's not going to let go of that stone. That's his prize. He'll keep a tenacious grip on that stone until the captors come and place him in a cage. They break the coconut so the monkey can keep his stone and add one more captive to their count. This is what we tend to do. We hold on to our glory. We hold on to our sin. We hold on to our life. And we may scream and holler when somebody interrupts it, when somebody gets in our way and threatens it. And holler as we may. If we don't let go of the stone, it'll destroy us. Jesus was not like that at all. He relaxed his hand and he let go. He became man on your behalf. He died on your behalf. He left his home and came alone to earth to be crucified on your behalf. This required an unwavering obedience to the wish of the Father. It was love that carried him to the cross. Of that, there is no question. We read that the Son of God loved us and gave himself for us. Yet we cannot negate the fact that it was also obedience. Obedience is not always easy. It was not just the crucifixion that was so difficult. Christ became sin, and he took your sin upon himself. The sin that he did not do, he became he bore our stripes, and by his stripes, we're healed. This was the most bitter cup that was ever handed to Christ, and he drank it up in obedience to his Father. And when this was accomplished, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So we've considered the mind of Christ, the mind of Paul, but does Philippians speak to your mind? Indeed, it does. Paul says, 
let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Jesus is our pattern, not just in how to live and walk daily, but how to think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But when we miss this and we fail to understand that Christ is to be at the center of all desires in the life of the Christian, we begin to get things wrong. Small things and minor mistakes. But these small things and minor mistakes add up and lead to greater error in how we think. And when our thinking is wrong, our lives are wrong. Before God, men are abased and Christ is exalted. When we're off in our thinking, that's not the case. It becomes me first. But Christ is to be the center of the spiritual universe for us. Where do you see yourself in relation to Christ? Where is Christ in your thinking? Have you relaxed your hand yet and allowed Christ to take his rightful place in your life? Is Christ everything? Is he the center? Thank you for joining us in this study on the book of Philippians. We hope that you continue to follow along as we continue through this book and this study. It's a tremendous study, and we're glad that you're with us. 